Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, we got a little bit of a off week here. Uh, have ample time to review the uh, Miami game and kind of talk about what we can take away from the first the first kind of half mark of the season. Uh, want to thank Louisiana Hot Sauce as always, title sponsor for us, and been just a a partner that uh, has allowed us to do a lot of the things that we want to do with the podcast and just been a, a fantastic partner and a great product that we can authentically get behind and uh, continue to speak about year after year and be excited to do so. Um, but with that, let's uh, jump into the review of the Miami game and kind of talk a little bit of the uh, good, bad, and, and the ugly. And I guess uh, we'll we'll conduct all of tonight's podcast with the idea of, uh, of Michael in the back of our heads and we would be foolish to go anywhere other than just kind of wishing everybody well and hoping that everybody uh, does the, the smartest and the safest thing over the next 48 hours. And uh, we'll, uh, I guess that we'll just acknowledge that up front and kind of have that, like I said, in the back of our mind as we progress throughout the, uh, the entirety of the, the podcast. Absolutely, man. Obviously, we, we were down for a couple of weeks last year uh, down here. After Hurricane Irma and, and y'all were, were so supportive and, and, and we're sending our love to those in Tally who might be affected and in the panhandle and uh, I hope we can help you all out in any way uh, that we can. So with that, uh, I hope the way we can help you here is to, uh, is to give you perhaps a momentary distraction, uh, maybe as you do some of your disaster preparedness. All right, bud, lots to talk uh, about from the, the previous Saturday. We'll kind of stay within our traditional format of looking at each offensive position group and uh, just try to try to have the the best takeaway from a, a game that had very two distinctively different halves in it. Also, kind of use this as a barometer, uh, not only for the Miami game, but kind of what we've seen through the first half of the season as well. So, uh, with that, we'll we'll jump into the quarterback position and lots to talk about from last Saturday. Yeah, man, uh, not uh, not a whole lot of good to talk about. You know, we can get the the toughness stuff out of the way. Your under friends while it's tough. Like they say on every broadcast, and they're not wrong. He does take a lot of shots, uh, but overall, he, he didn't play very well on Saturday. wasn't the reason why they lost the game, certainly, but uh, you know, was not uh, one of the better players on the field. Um, you know, Fifteen of thirty for a buck twenty-nine with the pick. Uh, obviously, two touchdowns does help, but uh, you know, on the whole, that's I mean, that, that's a really low number uh, in terms of, of yards per pass attempt, yards per pass play. I mean, certainly. Uh, certainly far less. He, he lost, uh, looks like, 33 yards on sacks. And um, I mean, when, when you factor all that in, you're talking about 35 pass plays for under 100 yards of total offense. Uh, and that, that includes scrambles. And that's uh, that's not going to work. Obviously, Miami is one of the better defenses they'll play all year. It, that's a very good defense they played. The thing is, you know, Ingram, the, the thing that has me concerned a little bit here, uh, he doesn't really seem to be improving as much as, as I think we, we thought he might or, or we hoped he might. If uh, if, if you're going to have a quarterback talk here as far as making a change, and, and we can get into that in a little bit, it, it is based on the idea that it, it might not happen in, in his first game, but at least you know, not with absolute certainty, but there's certainly not any kind of noticeable process of Francois kind of scaling up uh, to what's asked of him in the offense and, and him uh, becoming better in general at just making some kind of simplistic reads. Um, does Blackman do it better? I don't know. That's really the only thing that, that you could uh, make a change based off of is how many plays that you run in this offense that you're already exceptionally limited in what you have uh, as far as your offensive line and what their capabilities are that when you compound that with how many plays are just dead either before the ball is snapped or immediately after uh, after what would otherwise be a pretty simplistic read, then, yeah, that that would be kind of the avenue that you would have to have a quarterback discussion. Has Francois had some, some decent halves? Absolutely. Has he made some good throws? Uh, I think he's gotten uh, slightly better in making some anticipatory throws, and there's there's been a a little bit of an increase in that side of his game, but so much of the offense is dead uh, before it even has a chance to breathe right now that I think that's uh, the line of thought that you follow if you, if you do want to entertain what, what uh, Blackman might change of things. Absolutely. Um, you know, I went back and, and, and worked on our offensive film review for Tomahawk Nation today, and I got to watch this game 
three times, once live and then then two on replay. And on the second replay, I watched only the offense. And so I really tried to hone in on this and, and to get an understanding of what they're doing. I, I have a pretty good idea, I think, of, of what some of these play calls are. And I'm using context clues to determine that, right? For instance, you know, on some of these plays, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt to where, okay, that's probably just a design handoff. But on certain plays where it's very obvious due to the alignment of the receivers and the back and what the offensive line does in blocking and where Francois is looking, assuming that he's looking in the right spot, which we know he doesn't always do, but sometimes, it's very clear that these are some that these are read plays. And I counted six that were just flat out wrong. That doesn't sound like a whole lot. And look, I don't think that he's going to nail every single one of these. But some of these are real simple stuff. They've definitely simplified this a lot for him. Man, he's still missing a lot. And, and six doesn't sound like a lot to you guys, but but they only have 65 plays. So you're you're looking at, I mean, about 9% of your plays be, being dead there just based on, on either making the wrong read in the run game or I think there's two or three in there. I got to go back and count again, but two or three in there where it's just, a, in my opinion, a clear pre-snap bubble read. And continuing to go with the run play in that situation uh, is, is not the right call. Uh, and you don't have the numbers in the box really to run and, uh, and and it should just be quickly flipped out and that's you know that's pretty disappointing because we, we know he's done that before uh some under jimbo system and, and he missed some in, in jimbo system too there's there's no doubt about it uh but I, i'm just not really seeing the whole lot of the progression the defense sometimes respects his legs to run which is a a miracle i, I if i if i was a defensive coordinator i would just not I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if we if we ever see that again. I, th- I think there's so much tape uh, out on him now, and there and there's such a distinct difference between you know 18 and 17 as far as his ability to run. That I I think particularly with Florida State having the bye week here, I, I think you'll you'll see a noticeable change in in the way that people approach him. I agree with you. As far as the passing game stuff goes, that we're not talking about reads. And look, the reads are the main complaint I have, to be honest. Um, that there's just too much easy yards or easier yards, right? I don't want to necessarily call anything easy with this offense, but there's too many free or what should be free yards not being taken, not, not, not using your constraint plays to make the defense respect what you do. And that means, hey, if you have three over two on a bubble screen or three over one and a half, like they had in one situation, you got to flip the ball out there. That's just got to be an automatic from a guy who's played four years of college football. It just has to be, and, and it's not right now. So that's a problem. I'm sure the coaching staff won't say any of this stuff publicly, but that's their job to defend their players, and it's you know it's our job to tell you what we're seeing. I think most listeners know we're, we're usually pretty measured in the criticism, right? In the passing game, the actual like the drop back game, the only real complaints I have there, he, you know, he had a couple of misfires. I, I think maybe one or two times he, he read the you know he made the wrong decision of who to throw it to, but but overall he's he's not bad at that at all. In fact, I think he's probably good at that he made a couple decent throws too that i thought were, were nice throws that were on time he missed mckitty there on the ball over the middle at the linebacker uh knocked down that could have been a really big play if he's able to put some loft on it but you know he's a short kid he, he's, he doesn't have a very good size so he's gonna have some balls batted down at times and, and he's never been a guy that has a whole lot of touch and, and loft on his passes uh no my, my my real concern there is the continued not really stepping up in the pocket very much. And, and I understand that there's definitely an expectation that the pocket's going to come back in your face. But the offensive tackles are, are not good players right now. Brady Scott might eventually be a good player. We'll see. He, he plays hard. I'll give him that. But he does make those guys look even worse by, by not stepping up. There are a couple times in this game where the tackles are just smoked and he has no chance whether he steps up or not because the guys are actually able to get fully around the tackles. There are at least one or two other times where he gets himself sacked or eventually sacked because of it or, or pressured because he, he's drifting back into pressure and not stepping up. And, and that's that's got to change. And he also, and I know for a fact, he's been instructed to take off with the ball and scramble more, right? This is not an offensive line where you can sit back there and, and pretend that you're, you're you know, to a tongue of Iloa, right? You've got to go. This offensive line cannot protect you. You've got to go one, two, out. You don't have time to read four, four guys in, in, in a pattern. It, it just, you don't. And yet he continually sits back there and, and they have negative plays in it. I don't know 
if Blackman would be better. I really don't. There's a shot. I know the kids would play really hard for Blackman because they really do like him. I also know that it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to do a quarterback change before Louisville or or before before Miami. I don't think that's fair to Blackman to throw him in there, right? You want to have a decent sample set with Francois to see how good he actually is you know, in this offense. Is he going to grow and mature in this offense? But now, now you've got a, a decent sample of games, not a huge one, but enough to where you're, you're, you're kind of lacking in some of the, uh, some of the, the progression stuff that, that's not happening. So if you were going to make a change, the, the bye week would, would be the time to do it. Absolutely. This would be the window of time that you would naturally do it. And the only thing that I'll add on what you're saying about the offensive line is this start, you know, this thing certainly has a, a lot of holes in it and, uh, and it's going to be exceptionally limiting for the entirety of the season. But the interior three on pass protection, it's a decent unit. I mean, we we don't get beat up the middle uh, a ton. And there is uh, more times than not some some room to step in there. So if, if there's any small, you know, kind of sub subsection of the game that the offensive line is, is decent at is that uh, the two guards in the center are not absolute liabilities when it comes to the passing game. So maybe you're you're of the idea that if a kid six foot five or so uh, would be more comfortable in stepping forward in the pocket and seeing the field better, uh, able to make a little bit faster decisions, then maybe uh, maybe that is an enticing idea. But uh, I don't think the offense would be noticeably better, certainly not immediately and uh, not with some of the challenges that you have on the schedule. But again, circling back to the idea that maybe – Maybe there is a quarterback that would uh, progress with his reads and his understanding of the offense. One real danger that we haven't mentioned here is, are you a college football team that has one scholarship quarterback? That's a really good point. I don't know that, that Francois is going to be here next year anyway, right? I mean, he may just be done with school and, and want to want to go to go see if he can go play pro football. You know, I know some people that think that, that he won't be around, and I know some people that, that think he will. I, I, I don't actually know what he's going to do. If he even knows. If he gets benched, though, I got a pretty good idea that you won't have him around in, in 2019. Would he leave in the middle of the season? He's already played his, you know, his games that would allow him to maybe somehow roundabout get a get a red shirt. So I don't I don't think so. You know, I think he could maybe grad transfer somewhere if he wanted to. And if he gets benched, I, I'd, I'd imagine that there would, that would at least be an option on the table. But that's a great point, man. I mean, would he keep coming? I, I would mean, he keep I'm, coming I'm, to practice just on the off chance that Blackman gets injured and he gets back in the game? Would he involve himself in the program? Yeah, I don't. I don't not. I'm not really. Do you trust him to do that? Concern is more 2018. Uh, if whatever happens in 2019 is fine, but uh, I'm I'm more talking about in the immediacy. I, man, I don't know. Like maybe he would, but I I, I can't guarantee it. That's certainly something, you know. Uh, a, sub- a substantial chunk of time devoted to the quarterback position there. Anything else we want to touch on uh, before we move to, to the running backs? No, I think we can go to the running backs. Uh, obviously, Francois today, uh, because he was banged up from the game, he wasn't participating a whole lot in practice. That's not a like a he didn't want to. It's, it's like a, the injury thing. And so Blackman was getting the snaps with the first team. So just something to monitor. You know, we'll see uh, if everything comes to that. I, I'm not saying it will, but uh, – just something to uh, to be to, to to monitor. Running backs, I'm pretty pleased, man. I mean, there you know, there's certainly some times that I wish Cam Akers could take a take a 12 yard gain and make it a make it like a 29 yard gain. This offense is just dying for a chunk positive chunk play of any kind. Uh, but I thought you had two backs who had uh, two. You know, Akers is probably his best effort of the season and. Uh, Jock has Patrick for a period of time there might have been one of the better players on the field uh, so it was a it was a nice day for running backs and not necessarily just uh, what they did with the, the ball in their arm I, I think we're getting a little bit better understanding as to uh, or the players are getting a better understanding as to the overall ask and, and responsibilities of uh, of what this system asks of them man high effort pass protection for, from Cam Akers I, I liked him he really selling out Stoning guys, powerful in pass protection without overextending himself. Look, on the play that Francois gets sacked and fumbled, um, man, I don't know who to put that on. I really give most of the credit to that play to Miami. That was a really well-designed blitz. It came at the exact right time. 
if you go back and you watch that thing in slow-mo, and I have a copy of the game where, where you can you can turn it on super slow-mo, when that ball is being hiked, that guy is not doesn't really look like he's coming. And when Francois looks over there first, he definitely look, doesn't look like he's coming. He That dude timed that up exactly right. They scissored that thing to where Akers, took, Akers takes the guy who flashed inside first, which is you know generally what you're trying to do. You know Kelly's taken taken by the guy that crosses his face. Should Francois see it? In my opinion, not enough to avoid it, and and not enough to scramble it out of it. But maybe he should have seen it. You know, to the point where he doesn't fumble. You know, and and can protect the ball because he's clearly he clearly never sees it. You know what I mean? Oh, there's no scrambling option. No, I mean it's it's just whether you whether you tuck it or whether you you get blindsided. I thought Cam ran his best game, like you said. He ran hard. You know, he he did a really good job of being patient to the hole and explosive through the hole. I would like to see him make somebody miss in the open field a little more. Maybe maybe take something deep. But uh, overall, I, I thought a, a decent game out of the backs. Um, you know, and considering the opponent quality, this was probably their best game of, of the year overall. Um, the, the, the offense, that is. You know, your backs went, uh, what, 22 carries for uh, 83. So, you know, that's that's not great, but that's, uh, you know, it's not, not like 2.5 or something. You know what I mean? All right, guys, we'll uh, pause real quickly here to thank our friends at uh, Madison Social and for the restaurant, or excuse me, for the table restaurant group. One of the great things about being able to work with Madso is that when you you work with Madso and uh, for the table, you get as much community involvement and as much like as a a broad understanding as to the greater Tallahassee uh, area and just the community. And there could be no greater partner for us. And uh, I imagine that they'll be uh, right there as soon as they're able to reopen from the storm. And I know they loaded up on coffee and other things, but just direct people kind of to their Twitter account as a uh, informational source over the next 48 to 72 hours. And uh, happy to be able to partner with people like uh, like Matt and his team. And uh, I'm sure that they'll be doing all they can as uh, members of the community and would, as I said, point everybody in the direction of their social media accounts. Receivers, did you like them? I liked uh, I liked an awful lot of what I see out of this receiving core, and uh, I think that some guys that we asked to make strides are, are very much making them, and uh, other guys who are physically talented are starting to uh, starting to really pick up other aspects of the game. I mean, I love what I see out of Gavin. Uh, he's kind of blossoming, continue to blossom, and man, Terry is going to be. Uh, Man, that guy's that guy has a chance to have one hell of a highlight reel. Let me put it that way. Whether it be in uh, in plays that he's taken to the house or, or other plays that he's starting to do like his best Ermon Lane impersonation, uh, impersonation, he is uh, he's turning into a hellaciously good blocker. He really is, man. High effort blocker using his length. I mean, he runs some guys into the sideline like we were talking about before the show. Just I really like like, like Tamari and Terry. Obviously, if he could stretch out and make that one catch, that'd be real good. The announcers called him out for alligator arming it. And if you look at the replay, it does look like he did. Now, maybe the pass is too far inside. Maybe the pass could have come a little bit earlier. But uh, you know, if he's going to be like a number one superstar, he's he's got to he's got to catch that and take the hit. But he did do a really nice job uh, throughout the game. I like him winning fifty fifty balls. Need to see more of those uh, for him. And, uh, and and good presence of mind to, to get up feel quickly with, with the blocking and playing for each other is uh, is something that I am really seeing out of him and I, I'm seeing out of this team man this is, I know we had this like buried in the show notes deep down but you know, this team is not uh, they they are not quitting on each other it seems to be a team that very much likes each other which is not the case last year no no it's a good all things considered uh, locker rooms held together pretty well. We'll see. Uh, you certainly don't think that a, an off week would be any kind of time that you'd have uh, any kind of trouble. I think it'd be real interesting to see how this team responds, Wake Forest, and then some of the immediate games afterwards. But so far, hasn't have not been any kind of visible splintering signs uh, from a program that has has done that a couple times in the in the very recent uh, in the very recent past. Absolutely. Uh, by the way, DJ Matthews can throw the ball. We already knew this because I, I remember Nolcast way back when he was in the Army All-America game when I noted that he actually chucked the ball into the second deck. But, yeah, he, that, was, that was a nice job of, of throwing the ball by him after he received the, uh, the, the backwards pass from Francois. Uh, man, that really 
that sucked. That was a great play call. I, I like the play calling in this game a lot, but man, they that was perfectly timed. They set it up right. You know, it was it was you know, it was their last card to play. They played it. Miami totally bit on it. People are like, oh, DJ needs to drop back a lot more. No, if you do that, you give it away. They ran it right. The refs screwed it up. They really, they did screw FSU in that instance. Now, I know FSU got away with some holding up front, for sure. I'm not saying that the, you know, the refs only screwed FSU. That's not what I'm trying to say. But on this call, they did. I know uh, Cinefunk has taken and, and drawn some, some lines on there based on the, uh, the angle of the camera. And you can pretty conclusively determine that that ball was, uh, at worst, lateral, right? And probably backwards, I think, from, from where the ball was released to where it yeah. was caught. Looks like um, it travels backwards maybe 8 to 10 inches. Uh, it, I do it, think In it no goes way back. does it travel forward. No, it doesn't. They screwed him. I mean, I I knew from the time that, a, that he threw the ball that it was going to be exceptionally tight and that they were probably going to throw a flag, but... Blown, blown away that they didn't take a look at that. Not going to provide great commentary other than just say it's hard to imagine a thought process that would not lead the, the league to review that play. All right. What's the conversation we're having now if, if that play counts, if the, if the refs don't screw it up? <sighs> With the way the defensive line played, I don't see a way that, that Miami come goes and wins that game. I mean... Uh, and we'll get to that. I know we tired over time on defense, but the defense line turned in a hellacious effort, and I I just don't see Miami scoring with exceptional quickness. And it's a, it's a whole whole different swing, and it, it's probably a victory for Florida State. So people are talking, man. Willie Taggart and Walt Bell, absolute genius. Great feel for the game. Great timing on that play call, man. What way way to go for the kill shot, the killer instinct. So I'm going to say all those things. Because the refs screwing it up shouldn't shouldn't deny credit to this football team, right? Great job on, on the killer instinct on that play call. Way, way to really feel it, way to set it up earlier in the game. And uh, and, and a good job by, by DJ selling it and not stepping back too far. Just just through the knockout punch. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like th- throwing a, 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 you know, a, a great shot to the gut in boxing and, and, and the ref saying it, it's a shot below the belt. You know, no, it's just wrong. And, and, and you can't take it back. You, you cannot challenge a penalty, by the way. That's something I know a lot of – we got a lot of listeners emailing about this, so I, I'm glad we should probably go over this real quick. That play can be reviewed. It cannot be challenged by the coach. Willie Taggart said that the refs told him it was not close enough to be reviewed, which to me is outrageous. Willie's a little calmer on the sidelines than I would probably be. And uh, in that instance, I would probably lo- lose my uh, – I would probably lose it. We've got to watch what, what I say here because I want to keep our family-friendly rating. Now, granted, during the game, the broadcast, right, that, that the guys are probably seeing in the booth, you know, your, your, your coaches, the first replay we saw was from the camera that is sort of more downfield. Like 25 yards downfield. It's always going to look right. like a forward pass from that angle. And from that angle, it did look forward. So I completely understand, you know, what they saw with that. It wasn't really until after several plays were run that we saw the other angle of it. But that, I mean, and I, I agree with you. But when you when when you're familiar with sports and angles and stuff like that, you don't ever let an angle of a tight play like that from 30 yards downfield. That'd be like trying to judge whether or not somebody broke the plane of the goal line from the 32 yard line or something like that. It's just not. Are you talking? Are you talking about the 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 coaches? Or are you talking about the replay booth? I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not talking about the coaches. I, I, I'm talking about the replay. Okay, because I think I think that's an important distinction to draw here, right? If you're the coaches and the first angle you see, and this is the only really angle you have to go on because you have to make a quick decision. Hey, should we use a timeout to try and give these guys more time to look at this? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, well, then yeah, I'm kind of critical so. of the coaches too in that situation. You, I know you can't challenge a, uh, I know you can't challenge a penalty, but and even Willie, from that if, angle, if Willie radios up to him and says, right. But how many hey, other times do you think told you're me it's score not close enough on to look day? at? How many other times are you no, gonna no, have a play? No, I, I I agree, but yeah, I think you got to burn the house down, uh, regardless of. I know what you're saying about that angle, and you make a real good point, and you're absolutely right that that is that is the first thing that all eight, nine, however many heads in that box see as they look up at the monitor. 
I'm not discounting what you're saying, but I still think that from that angle, you could till, still tell that that was going to be something that was judged by uh, a razor's edge. If you're willing, I'm just trying to put myself in his shoes to you know evaluate the decision in, in real time. Okay. It's clear like, like DJ didn't step back very far. You've probably looked up at the board and seen it. The ref told you it's not close enough. That you, the ref told you that the replay booth told him it's not close enough to look at play on. Your coaches tell you, hey, from the angle we saw, like it, it's not an obvious thing where we want, we want to burn a timeout. That's a really tough position to be in if the ref's already told you that, right? I mean, it, it's not like Florida State went tempo. They, they took their sweet time after that. And you could see Willie yelling at the ref, you know, to, to some extent, not like yelling, but having a conversation with him and then telling him, hey, you know, it, it's not close enough to review according to the booth. Do you then compound, you know, compound it by, by burning one of the timeouts that you might really need? I still might, but I don't know that it's clear. It, it's an interesting conversation to be had, which I, I guess we just had. They did send it into the ACC, uh, as, as Willie said tonight um, on his coach's show. Uh, he said, uh, from our understanding, the quarterback has to throw the ball backwards. Tagger says, <laughs> uh, Francois threw it at the 44. Matthews caught it at the 45. It was behind DeAndre when he when he caught the pass. You can tell he's pretty salty about that one, as he should, because I guarantee you when he got in there and saw the coach's tape, oh, man, he had to have lost his stuff. Because they, they called the knockout punch. They hit the knockout punch, executed it beautifully in the ref's screw. If you call a timeout there, they might take a look at the other angle. If they get it dialed up in time, you're speaking. They as the know coaching that it's staff conclusive enough. No, no, the review, the the, the review stuff. It, it, calling a timeout it doesn't matter what the coaching staff looks like. I mean, it's, right? It's, you can't challenge. So it's only up to the review booth. And the review booth already said it's not close enough to look like. Can they maybe see another angle or something up there? I I, I don't know if you get like if, if they get even more time, but they didn't go up tempo, so they already had a decent amount of time to look at it. They could have buzzed down to stop, and then. I'm just trying to walk through this in my head. Do you think if they had actually reviewed it that it would have been overturned? Because I don't know that there's enough there to conclusively overturn it, although I think it's pretty clear it was not forward. But, I, I man, the play should have been reviewed. That's inexcusable by the ACC. It's, I mean, it's, it's that close. They, they have you to, have to it, review this, the this play immediately. Thing. If you're going to review every play where there's a score where a score occurs – you have to review that play. But they, but a score did not occur I, I, because they called it I, I know that technically a score did not occur. But I'm saying, if as a conference, you you have a guideline to review every play where a score occurs, then I think you damn well have to replay a play in which a score would have occurred if the flag is incorrectly thrown, which from the second the flag was thrown, there was going to be, again, like I said, this you knew this thing was going to come down to like six inches one way or another. I can't fathom the fact that that happened on Saturday and the conference didn't ask her to re- review that play. Illegal forward pass and too many men on the field, I think are two plays that probably, I don't want to call for automatic review, right? Because that's just not, uh, that would probably slow the game down. There's some, there are some instances where it's very obvious that it should not be reviewed. However, if it's at all close, that needs to be reviewed. You know, we, we, we saw the situation in the Sunday night game where Deshaun Watson or I think it was Deshaun. Um, I, I you know, watch so much football, my, my mind gets gets all warped here. But uh, where, where he's you know just just behind the line as he releases the ball downfield, that stuff in in real time is so hard to determine if you're a ref, especially if you're not standing right on the line. So that yeah, they should have reviewed it, man. And then they really did screw FSU out of that. That I'm not saying Florida State deserved to win the game. They, they really didn't. They got outplayed. But on that play, they deserved to have that play count. And up until that point. They were leading Miami on the scoreboard, even if they weren't really the, the better team, you know, to that point. So that's disappointing. I guess we can move on and talk about the offensive tackles. We are really we we are not playing playing up tempo here tonight, but I, I hope people are, are appreciating the discussion. I, I think it's been a good one. The offensive tackles uh, I thought played below average in the first half, and just uh, well, yeah, average to uh, below average, and then just the kind of bottom completely fell out in the second half. As uh, as could kind of be expected when you looked at the two rosters and and uh, what Miami brought to uh, brought to the field on Saturday, uh, surprised overall from the level of play that you got out of the line from from moments there in the in the second quarter. Uh, Florida State had a had a run game, which I think was part in due to uh, 
to the speed of which they were playing and just some nice plays out of Jacques Patrick, but also part to an offensive line playing at a level that I would not have ever thought that they would have for any time or period in the game. So I uh, want to be fair to a unit that on the whole performed better than, than we expected, certainly, but also kind of played played to the back of their baseball card in, in the second half. Yes, I would say that, that in the first half they far exceeded expectations. And in the second half, as bad as it sounds, I know it does, I think they played about two expectation. Is that fair? Like they played in the second half about as as I think. If you watch the ten teams or the, the ten quarters of this team or ten quarters, gosh, if you watch the ten halves of this team leading up to this game, that second half is exactly what you thought was going to happen throughout the whole game, or at least I did. Um, great job by by the staff to to scheme some things up that could work. Obviously, more of those in the first half than the second. There's only so many adjustments you can make to the opponent's adjustments when you have this kind of personnel. Also in the second half, let's just credit Miami's defensive line. Those guys, it wasn't like our guys all of a sudden started playing like like like, you know, like crap. Miami's defensive line took it to a level that Florida State just they don't have that gear. That that's that's not in their gearbox. They can't get there. Not this year at least. There's no way. Gerald Willis took that game over inside. He started abusing Mike Arnold. You know, that, Mike Arnold in the second half was, was not too good. Obviously, Florida State played both Bellow and Kelly at tackle in this game. Bellow was was not good. Uh, Kelly Kelly knows what he's doing, it seems like, but physically he does. I don't think he has the quickness to play tackle anymore. He's a college football player at that level, so that's nice that we have one of those, but never somebody that would be playing offensive tackle by, by choice at this point in his career. He's clearly not healthy. It, it was awesome for him to get back and, and gut it out, but uh, yeah, that, that's not uh, that's not what they need to have have uh, have happen. So let me see the other other topic. I kind of want to discuss about the offense. We've got a lot of offensive talk tonight. The defensive talk may be short. And uh, if you're listening on Fox Sports Southwest Florida, please do subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, whichever whichever phone type you have, because uh, the, the conversation oftentimes does continue after the radio hour that we're allotted uh, on Fox Sports Radio Southwest Florida and perhaps expanding throughout the state as well. So we had a lot of, lot of discussion about why didn't they just run the ball and punt, right? The only reason why they lost was, was, was the turnovers. I have a problem with that, and I, I don't agree with that opinion. I know you and I, I think, disagree, if I remember what we were saying before the show. I, I think they lose this game even if they don't have those two turnovers because I, I don't think that you can base your opinion of the game only – on what's happened in this game. If you're a good team and you do your scouting of yourself and of the opponent, you got to know what that opponent's level is. And that opponent's level is not determined solely or even mostly based on what they've done through 30 minutes. You've got to know most of your projection for what's going to happen throughout the rest of that game is what you feel that team is based on how they've played in the all the other games this season, all the other film you've watched, all the other capabilities and skills and talents and tendencies that they've shown. So I, I don't think that there's any re, any reason to believe that, that Florida State was going to keep dominating Miami's offense, right? That that I, I thought Miami was going to get some points. I don't think there's any reason to believe that Perry would continue to miss open guys, you know. And I don't think that running the ball with 25 minutes left in the game exclusively and punting was going to be the solution. I mean, that you're basically implying that Miami, who was probably going to get what seven more drives if you did that. That they were going to score like less than three points per drive with relatively good field position and a punter in Logan Tyler who was injured and all of a sudden was hitting low line drives or very returnable by one of the fastest players in the nation in Jeff Thomas. I mean, I, I just I don't think that you can just run, 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 punt this thing out. And I also don't think that the, their running game would have been near as successful at the slow tempo at which many of the people in our inbox have suggested. Because if you go back and look, a lot of Florida State's success with the run game was because of the tempo. At the end of the second half, Miami is just totally like standing up. Those guys have no juice left. They got to get to the to the halftime. They, they got to get some you know, IV fluids in them. And, and Florida State's whipping them with that. But I do think that it's absolutely warranted to think that you've got to get to like 35. You know, and, and that 27 – was probably not going to win you that game. It's not like not like Miami just you know scored their twenty eighth on the last thing. They had like a a super long drive to end that game, in which they were trying to run clock the whole time. You know they they could have easily put up another score on Florida State. Yeah, I mean they they chose to 
take what two to three snaps on on their three uh absolutely and and their running backs were were all but directed to do that uh if you if i remember correctly so they uh absolutely chose not to not to score there and uh could have scored and probably would have scored had uh game situations dictated them to do so but i don't know i mean i don't know that uh you would have had your defense get as tired if you don't have those two turnovers uh kind of in back-to-back manner I don't know energy played such a big part of that game it would be it would be hard to say and it's just one big hypothetical I I will say that the way that the defensive line was playing you know Miami was suffering some of the same things that Florida State uh, finds where you know maybe first down incomplete all of a sudden you try to run or something like that uh, or you get sacked or their their run game was to the point where the fan base was was really starting to turn against them. I mean, it was just uh, there were there was no hope for it, and uh, Florida State continued to have tackles for losses. It just would have been hard going, uh, in my opinion, for that offense uh, based off the the way the defensive line played. But uh, you know, that's a big hypothetical, and we could have a, a long circular conversation about it. But who knows who would have been correct on that one? Yeah, I mean, it, it would have been really interesting if if Logan was not injured. I think it's it's somewhat of a different conversation, but the punts he hits after he gets hurt are bad punts. I think you make you make a real good point there, and and you said that they were they were short and low, and I think at least one of them was to the wrong side of the field. So he was he was like a, a golfer with no confidence, uh, whether that be. Uh, and I don't know if that happens happens on the tackle, which by the way, Logan Logan Tyler is probably like probably the most athletic punter in the country. There there are not too many people that tackle that kid whether it be face mask or not uh that's that's not something you see out of your out of your punter every day uh and I don't know if he injured himself on that or uh I think maybe I'd be more likely to to uh think that he just had a it looked like he just came down wrong on that one kind of warm-up swing that he took it didn't that to me didn't look like a athlete that was particularly pensive about something it just looked like when he came down he I don't know if he hit the wrong part of his foot or what. Uh, again, a bunch of a bunch of just kind of uh, vague ideas that we don't know the exact answer to. But he was absolutely a different product after uh, after that injury occurred. So here's the four punts he hits after the injury. You ready for this? Hits one, return. Miami get, gets a call back with a penalty. That's basically the only saving grace there. The next one gets a 29 yard net. 29 yard net. The next one punts from Florida State's 23. Gets taken back to. Florida State's 26. So that's a three-yard net. Three-yard net. The next one, punts from Florida State's eight, gets taken back to Florida State's 42. So that is a 34-yard net. It is my opinion, and, and I mean, I, I, I'm glad we kind of came to a middle ground there. I mean, the guy is having trouble standing up. Miami is returning these balls really easily at this point. And uh, let's say you hadn't turned the ball over there, and instead you just punted. Based on that average, look. I mean, look. Look where these turnovers came. They, they came like at your own twenty and your own twenty-two. If you're averaging thirty, Miami's still getting the ball at like the fifty. It's not like not like like these were happening in a spot where you know you're set to pin them. And of course, you can't assume that everything else in the game happened. And I don't want to be the guy that does that. But you know, that I, I do think that was a factor. And if if that was as much of a factor as I think it was, then I think that was a correctly uh, factored in factor. That you needed to, to score some more points, and that, that just going super conservative and punting was probably not going to be the way to do it. So, um, and I hope he's okay because the, the punts he hit in the first half I thought were real nice. Oh, he was a, he was on his way to the best game of his career. I mean, he he was absolutely hitting balls that you know's there. You know, Logan's got a, a massive leg. It's just there's pretty big level of, of variance at times. Um, hopefully, the you know gets a bye week here, gets to come back and and be uh fully healthy for the for the second half of the season we kind of spent a lot of time there talking about the the defensive lines play there indirectly so maybe we don't spend as much time as we would have otherwise but uh why don't we shift over to the defense and and talk about what was a, a pretty impressive uh performance particularly particularly from the guys up front it was it, it really was um and, and i like some of the change-ups that that the defense uh threw as well um in this game, they, they did far less blitzing than they normally have, right? They've been one of the most aggressive defenses in the entire nation. And in this game, and I was talking to some guys about this, about why they did it, 
And basically their idea was because of how much kind of check with me stuff that Miami does, you know, and, and waiting, 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 and all the, the like the, the fake clapping by Nicosi Perry to, to see if Florida State would show their blitz, Florida State thought that, that Miami would get a good read on them if they were as blitz happy as they normally are. And also some of their blitzes have not been getting home lately, right? So they're, they're aggressive without necessarily the results they want, which is something I think will get better over time. But they went a lot more coverage in this game. I think there was a couple reasons for that. Number one, you know, I think they wanted to protect their their linebackers and their safeties to, to the extent that they could. You know, they, they, they played a lot more coverage. And I also think that they thought that their defensive line uh, would have an advantage over Miami's uh, offensive line. And in that estimation, they were correct. I think a large part of that was they didn't think they had to be as aggressive. Uh, I'm not sure that maybe they thought that they would have uh, the mismatch that they did and get the performance out of some people that they did. But uh, I, th- I think they were rightfully pretty confident about how uh, their group paired with theirs. And uh, Brian Burns, absolute stud. Marvin Wilson is, appears to be on the on the verge of turning into an All-American defensive tackle. And damn, uh, that was that was kind of the DeMarcus Christmas from last year's Alabama game. I mean, that was a really, really good performance. Fred Jones had some, some moments of brilliance as well. It was a, a really impressive effort from the internal part of the defensive line. If they get Marvin Wilson to play play like that a couple more times this year, and, and look, I'm not naive. I, I don't think that you can get a guy to play like that every single game. I think I've seen like one guy play with that level of intensity every single game, and that was Indomitian Sue. Other than that, you're going to have some games where, where some guys just don't have that same energy and burst. But if he can do that a couple more times this year, especially in some of those more winnable games they have left on their schedule, well, then that really gives you a legitimate chance to to you know to make a bowl, you know, which I know we'll discuss at the end of this show, kind of their updated – Bowl thoughts, or maybe we'll save that for the next show. Who knows? But uh, you know, Brian Burns off the edge was was tremendous. Couple good snaps from from uh, from Kando, which is nice. They need more and more of those. They, they really do. By the way, I'm watching Monday Night Football here, and oh my god, the holding they just got away with uh, to allow Drew Brees to score, or not Drew Brees, I guess the backup quarterback Taysom Hill. I, I got it on mute, obviously, but maybe Florida State should just try to hold on every play. That like it, it probably can't get much worse. I think they do try that pretty frequently, actually. Kelly's not going to let you, I, I will give him credit for that. Kelly doesn't frequently get uh, victimized in the, you know, what 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 we deem it a couple of weeks ago, the patty cake game yes. or whatever. He, he he likes to hold you. He does like to hold you. Uh, so I, I'll give him credit. It's nice to see us at least engage a defense alignment. I do want to give credit to Trey McKitty. Trey McKitty has got some savvy to him with his blocking. Trey McKitty will hold you and then release you at like, just the right time where I'm watching. I'm like, that's going to call for a hold. And he doesn't. He's like, nope, let it go. And then, he, and then he and he releases with like a push. So it makes it look like he was pushing the whole time. And it's great. There's a couple there's a couple Cam Akers runs where he, where he looks like he holds the hell out of the guy. And uh, and all of a sudden, nope, no holding call. So podcast also brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans, a proud, null-owned business. Chad and Shannon are, are going to take care of you when you go to them. They want to give you a great rate. They want to have great communications. And they want to go fast. And you know what? We saw some some great things from Florida State this weekend when they were able to go fast. We're, we're seeing how the Gulf Coast offense can come together. I want you guys to see how your new home loan can come together with the help of Resolution Home Loans. When you use Resolution, it's easy. With their Almost Home program, they're going to get you closed out fast, and you're, you're going to have the safety and security that you want with a great loan provider. How do you get in contact with these guys? Good question. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. At linebacker, I, I, I thought uh, I thought Antavius Jackson played a hell of a game. Very physical and 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 was – man, he played like, like a like a linebacker, at least against the run, should play like in, 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 in a Miami-Florida State game. Now, the pass coverage, we'll see. I mean, it, it's, it's probably never going to be a strength, but uh, he's better in that area than I thought he would be, uh, you know, last year. At this time, and then also you know, they kind of got uh, they got picked on, which is an area that I I would pick on Florida State's linebackers and, and, and safeties not named uh, Stanford Samuels all day, because like some of those guys just aren't aren't any good, or at least they're not like Florida State caliber players, and they're in there and they're getting picked on. You know, kind of late in the game, Miami Miami gets Brevin Jordan singled up against uh, against Brooks and. You know, Brooks is is not his dad, and he's not uh, he's not anywhere close. Um, 
to that. And and I, I don't think it's his fault that he started for Florida State. You know, like he, it, it's not his fault that they didn't recruit position very well and they didn't develop position well at all in previous years. But he's he definitely gets picked on. And look, other teams are going to see that. So uh, I, I would expect him to get picked on even more in, in, in the coming games. And Miami finally found a way to get their tight end singled up. I thought Florida State did a good job overall of protecting those guys to the best they could, but it's just hard to do that on every play, you know, um, and eventually the, the opposition is going to get one. And then they, they did there for a big score. So uh, kudos to Miami on that. And uh, linebackers, I, I just don't know how much better they're going to get during a year, man. Um, yeah, no, they're not. They're not. Uh, like you said, Dontavious Jackson, a really, really good effort. Uh, didn't make the tackle on the one play, but what he does to Miami's fullback on uh, uh, one of the plays in the third quarter is just uh, uh, maybe it was in the second quarter, but just absolutely doesn't just stand the kid up in the backfield, just just sheds him immediately to the ground. And uh, he was uh, he was part of a, a defensive uh, front that that played exceptionally well. And if uh, if the biggest limitation that we talk about Jackson's game is what he's doing in coverage, then uh, I, you know I'll just take that. That's uh, that's Florida State's one real linebacker, and he's I think he's really blossomed into a into a hell of a player. So uh, a kind of kind of positive as far as what we've gotten from from the one player Thomas is, you know, just kind of what you get out of him, and uh, we'll see kind of as that unit progresses. Uh, it does look like uh, Warner's being used situationally. had a had a nice play there where he was kind of spying Perry. Uh, so maybe maybe you start to see him more and more uh, throughout the the back half of the season. Absolutely. I'd like to see him more in there. Hopefully he can be more physical and, and, and show that. So could be good. Uh, DBs real quickly. Um, number one, I, I think AJ Lighton's going to be a good player in time. Um, certainly we've, we saw him kind of lose his technique a little bit when he gave up the, that, that touchdown. But you know, I saw some good things from the young DBs. I, I saw them fight through the hands against bigger players. Uh, I, I know I saw it on Twitter. I don't, I don't know who reported this, but I, I one of the guys on the beat reported that Levante Taylor was in the locker room uh, getting fluids, I think it was. I think it was on Twitter, which is why he wasn't out there for some of the plays. And you know, that, that's encouraging to me, and it answers a question that I think a lot of our listeners had, which was uh, you know, why is a true freshman in there in critical situations? Well, your backup corners are true freshmen. So if you don't have your starter in there because he's getting fluids or treatment or, or injury or something, uh, then they're going to be in there, and that's what happened. That kind of answers that question. The uh, the safeties, other than uh, Stanford Samuels, are not uh, are not very good right now. But an inspired effort by the defense. Uh, you know, they held Miami. You know, I pulled up some numbers here today. You know, my, they held Miami to a thirty five percent success rate in Miami. That's that's good. You know, Miami had like four point one yards of play, which is a very good win for the defense. I will also note that Miami outgained FSU by 33% per play, which just shows you just, just how bad Florida State's offense was. That was pretty solid. Um, they'll take that defensive effort every single game from here on out if you can get it. You want to you uh, end on uh, on a bowl projection here or something? Uh, we, we already kind of we already kind of talked about exceeding expectations and the team not quitting. I think I'm unchanged, right? I mean, like like so here's the thing. If you lose to Miami and you don't change your opinion of the team at all, then you got to knock it down like a percentage point or two because there, there wasn't a zero percent chance of beating Miami. There was just you know a low percentage chance of beating Miami, maybe you know, five to ten percent or whatever you went with. But I actually think my opinion of the team is slightly higher after that game, and my opinion of FSU's upcoming opponents, I think, is relatively neutral. So with that, I actually think that my opinion of the team going up a little bit is enough to offset. You know the the loss at Miami, so I'm going to stick with my uh, with my 25 percent chance of making a bowl. I I think they're most likely finished as five and seven. I think I was in the low 30s. I'm actually going to take mine up two or three points. Uh, rest around 35 this week. I I've really liked what you see. I'm not naive to think that you can extrapolate uh, the energy and the effort that you get out of Miami to the rest of your schedule. Doesn't ever play out that way. But I do think that there's pieces here that. Uh, that are really starting to emerge and there's aspects of the program that uh, I like. There's also aspects of the program that I'm exceptionally, you know, frustrated with, uh, with the performance as to what you've seen at times and just the overall way the, the program's performed over the last three years or so from a record perspective. But uh, I, I am uh, slightly more bullish on this team and uh, some of the, 
some of the uh, younger pieces on it. So with that, I'll say that uh, I'll put my confidence meter around 35. Sure would have loved for us to, uh, I don't know, maybe been in the 50s, 60s. Now, real quickly, I don't want to drag on, but where would you have put it had a, had a W been posted on Saturday? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, that would have given them four wins, and they, they just need to find two more. So uh, I would have been probably over 50%, man. You know, because because in that in that case, as long as you, I mean, if if you beat if you beat BC and Wake, you're in. But if if you lose to one of those, you still have a chance at Florida or NC State. I mean, that that, that gives you all the breathing room in the world, as opposed to now you can still only lose one more of the games that we define as, uh, you know, quote unquote winnable. Which I, I don't really define Notre Dame and Clemson as winnable. I, I still think Florida State will lose by, I don't know, forty combined to those guys, maybe more. Clemson was never something that we were particularly optimistic from. And I think Notre Dame has just done nothing but kind of secure itself in uh, in that category as the season's played out. They're going to be a, a real large ask. So, Bud, we'll do a, a mailbag version of the show probably on Thursday. We have a lot of stuff that we can catch up with and uh, a lot of questions to be answered. As we said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, certainly thoughts are, are with everybody in a, the path of uh, this storm and encourage anybody to make the, the best decision possible, the safest decision possible. So tonight we'll leave you on a little bit of a lighthearted note. The Carolina Panthers radio uh, call, the Spanish version of the Carolina Panthers radio call for uh, Graham Cano, uh, a favorite son of the Florida State program, hitting uh, what was the second longest field goal in NFL history. So uh, well done to Mr. Cano and... Uh, pretty hilarious uh 28 seconds of radio commentary should uh should be to follow le ha sobrado distancia le van a servir tiene altura tiene profundidad va a llegar va a llegar ganó lo ganó ganó lo ganó 